Radio. I'm Ray Burton and welcome to another Let's Talk Gardening podcast. Our mission is to provide listeners with interesting, informative topics and up-to-date information. My co-host is Faya Caro, an award-winning gardener, horticulturalist and media presenter. Faye's passion is educating people. Oh, and she loves bugs a lot too. My passion is simply beautiful, healthy gardens. And together each week, we cover many great gardening subjects. Saturday morning and here come the girls, Ray and Faye, with Let's Talk Gardening. So it is great to be back gardening, friends. Been a while, hasn't it? Happy New Year, if it's not too late to say that to you. The team is here and we are ready to go. We have so much to catch up on. You know our number, but here it is, 94841927. And, of course, our email address, our special gardening email address, gardening at curtainfm.com.au. And a big shout-out to Alan Simons for his clever and witty dialogue and always fabulous music. He was so pleased to see us this morning, Faye. Did you notice that his eyes welled up with tears, you know, with just sheer joy? Yeah, that man man loves us. We love you too, Al. And uh, also thanking Jim Crine. He seemed very excited this morning as well. And uh, he's our cycling DJ. Jim will return next week. Good to see you, Faye. It's been a while and lots to cover off. And you've turned uh, the studio into a jungle, which I have to say I really like. Looks a bit, reminds me of my house. (laughs) Well, you can take all this home, Ray. Oh, Have you got I, room for it? Oh, I find room. You know me. <laughs> you know me. Yes. Yeah, so how's it going? Very good. Very good. It's great to be back. It Sorry is. to everyone for not being back earlier. But you know what? Last week, 41 degrees, mm. you know, we have gardens to tend to. And I, <laughs> I spent all Saturday because uh, I decided that I would just play with the ripsalis on the patio and give mm. everything a, a drink of seaweed. And I spent the whole day judging the patio. Well, we you slide into survival mode. It's just flat out just keeping everything alive, including yourself. Now, we do have calls and lots of questions already lined up. 20 past eight. We're chatting to none other than Sue McDougall. Okay, she is the director at the Western Australian Botanic Gardens up in Kins Park. We're going to have a chat with her about management practices and how they protect the park's natural assets, which is uh, vital. And at 10 to 9, we have Simon Boyle joining us in the studio. We're talking dragon fruit. Which is very timely. And plentiful. And plentiful. So join us for that as well. But I think what we'll do, uh, patient listeners, we'll get straight into our calls. Why wouldn't we? We're in Yanship first up. Katie, good morning. Oh, good morning. How are you girls just now? We're great. Very good. Thanks, Katie. How can we help you? Okay. We're having a lot of land clearing and roads being built on both sides of Yanship Beach Road. Um, We're now having a huge influx of my three neighbours uh, and myself are all having an influx of termites. Mm. Now, that's both, I've got it inside and outside. Um, now, my question is, the pest control recommended I remove all the chip bark from the garden beds, yeah. which we've now done because we found them in the garden bed. Oh, dear. What? Yes. Yeah, now that we've got the bare sand out there, it's only a small garden bed. What can you recommend for me to put down? Is straw okay or is that another inhibitor for the uh, termites? (laughs) I I don't think it it contains uh, the, is it the lignin or the cellulose that they need? 
Um, yeah. Termites are quite sensitive to light. So I would think you've you've got to have a big enough barrier for them to to live in their colony. Um what another thing that you can do because termites will look for old dead wood. So if you think about putting down a log that will actually attract the termites, then you can capture them and deal with them that way rather yes, than having you know, sources around the garden that they might look for and find. Yes, well, the neighbour had a log of wood, and we've had um, we put down some wood, uh, some planks the other well, for Christmas. And when we removed them, <laughs> we had a lovely little party happening underneath some of them. So yeah. there he got dismantled so quickly it wasn't funny. But they were only there for about two seconds, as you say. They they don't like the light. Mm. But, yeah, now that <laughs> now that I was very. Naughty or good, I don't know. <laughs> I put some nice poison down for them. Um, my my concern is, um, are they going to travel? Because now the neighbour's got hit them in his front yard as well. So, well, they they, travel? they they live do. naturally in the environment, anyway. and they break mm. down old dead wood. Mm. So, yeah. like you say, yeah. anything that you leave on the ground, if you've got a wood pile and it's on the ground, they can potentially find their way into that. Um, right. it, it is quite natural, but you want to keep them out of your house, so monitoring yes. your house. But like I said, putting down a log, that is a trap that you can capture and maybe renewing it periodically. Right. And okay. also dampness is an issue, Katie. They're attracted to dampness as well. Yeah. I've, I've had termites. Yeah. I've had them in my house, in my pantry, if you don't mind. So I nearly died. Yeah. 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 I've got them in my lo- I had them in my laundry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it turns out they came in because uh, when we had the fellow come out to deal with it, they came in through the back wall uh, where I had uh, pots and plants and plenty of water. Mm. Mm. Yeah. It's a matter of yeah. locating their nests and that they need to take that poison back to the, the nest source. Yeah, yeah, I've done that three times already, so hopefully they don't come back there again. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. So can I put – I mean – I put down the black mulchy stuff, but that soon breaks down. So then I thought, well, if I put straw down, then maybe that might just sort of, you know. I, th- I think that hard. would be all right. I maybe John can, I was say, can let's get John do a double check, check for us. Mm. But even something like uh, mush- mushroom compost, which again is a oh, mix okay. of straw and manures, uh, they're less likely to to find a home in that. And that breaks down oh, and improves your soil, which is something I like about it. And it's got a nice dark colour, so it offsets your plants. Perfect. Oh, that, that's good. That'd be great. Okay. All right. Thanks for your call, Katie. Hopefully. Thank you. Bye-bye. All Bye. right. Good luck. Okay. Let's go to Dianella. Caroline, how's it all going? Oh, good. Thank you. Welcome back, ladies. Oh, thank you. How can we help you, Caroline? I have a lovely frangipania in my backyard. It's a pink one, dark pink one, pink and yellowy thing. The only trouble is it's got quite high and it looks quite leggy. Is there any way I can lower it so I can see the flowers again? Pruning. Yes, judicious pruning uh, to encourage the shape that you want. So if you late now that it's tall, will yeah, it that's, shoot just, out? Oh, just going to say, it depends on the um, the length of the trunk. Well, and some of the varieties 
do become quite leggy, whereas mm. some are more mm. compact. Mm. Uh, but what you could do is kind of start again. So take cuttings and refresh the plant. So the plant that you've got there will be encouraged to branch out when you cut it and take new cuttings and then you could plant them around the base as well. Oh, I've got a lot of those, yeah. Because mm. I, I fell over and I grabbed one of the branches and the whole thing came down. Oh. I planted them. Yeah, it didn't, didn't, didn't break my fall. For, uh, yeah. So I planted all those and they come up really nicely. But mm. if, you, if you want more flowering and more, uh, more growth, prune your plants. So how much do I take off it then? Well, do, well, how tall is the plant? It's up around the eaves. Okay. Is it getting enough sunlight or is it stretching Reaching. to sunlight? It's in full time now. Okay. All right. Um, just prune it down to where you want. If you cut partway down a stem, then you will get it branching out. If you cut it out flush with the trunk, then you probably won't get the regrowth. Uh, so if I cut like those long branches, if I cut them in half, they'll shoot out of the side, will they? That, yes. Mm. Oh, right. Okay. That, that'll be low enough for me. All right. Yeah. Good luck with that, Caroline. Good. Thanks for your call. Thank you. Cheers. Bye. And we're heading to Bentley, which is where we are located. Jim, good morning. Good morning. How are you, Jim? I'm very well, thank you. That's good to My hear. My query is I have uh, pumpkins and rock melons on my vine. I'm just wondering how do I tell when they are ready to pick because I believe melons don't ripen once they're picked. Uh, melons? Oh. How do you tell if a rock melon is ripe? Right. Yeah. The colour and the fragrance is, is one of a yeah. Certainly, when we're buying them, yeah, I don't. I yeah. I, I always smell them, but mm. you can also see if they're not ripe, they're they're a little bit green. So you've got the the brownish ribbed bit on the outside, but behind that they're yeah. green. They tend to turn a more fawny colour as they ripen, but definitely that that sense of smell. How healthy is the vine? Is it dying down or is it still lush and no, green? No, it's not. It's still producing small fruit. Okay. Yep. The, the melon itself is quite large for a rock melon. Right. It's been there about five or six weeks. Yeah. That size. Yep. Well, that's quite normal. And ripening will depend on the heat as well. With pumpkins, they often leave them on the vine for months. To the point where the vine has died down and shriveled and you can actually see the stem has shriveled away and when you do cut so there's no hurry you know I, I would just wait um, till autumn but when you cut cut a good length of the stalk if you cut too close to the pumpkin or if it breaks off that can potentially be a source of a fungal infection. But if you cut a long stalk, your your pumpkins will last about 12 months in the shed. Ah, very good. All right. Well, thank you very much for that. I'll just wait for the colour and the smell of the Rockies. Yes. <laughs> Patience is a virtue, Jim. Love my Rockies. <laughs> yeah, gorgeous. Yeah, oh. all right. Well, thank you very much for that. That's the answer I wanted. Okay. Now, one more thing. Just quickly, I don't know if you've got vermin in your area, 
But I can almost guarantee if you've got rats around, when you're, you can tell when they're right they because come. they will get in right before you do. Mm. So, yeah, well, I've been, I've been caught before and I've now got the melons in little cages. Oh, wow. Good on you. Yeah. Yep, that's what you need to do. And everyone else, yeah. if you've got that, that problem, that's what you need to do. A basket and wrapped it with chicken wire, with the bird yep. wire. <laughs> works like a treat. Oh, good, good on, on you, Jim. Jim. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much. I'll keep my patience going. Okay. Yes. Bye Cheers. for now. And let's let's go to Dianella saying hello to Frida. Good morning. Oh hi! I, I finally got through to you. How nice! Oh, lovely so nice to hear to from you, you, Frida. Yeah, nice to have you back again. Um, quite a few months ago, I spoke to either you or Ray or Fred, I don't know who I'm speaking to about my tuxedo hydrangea, which I listened to you. You said cut it right back, and it looked as though it was dead, and I was almost going to pull it out, but. It started to grow and grow, looking beautiful, but absolutely no buds and no flowers. And it's in a, it, it's outside my bedroom window, which gets the morning sun until about um, half past eight, you know, and oh. then it's in the shade. Ah, uh, okay. So just no, just no buds. It, it's green and it looks healthy. All right. And Two I'm, things. Yes. Flowering plants need sunlight to flower. Uh, and certainly bright light. So if it's only getting morning sun till half past eight, it's lacking yeah. in the sunlight. The it second is. thing, uh, depending on what you're feeding it, you can have amazing lush green leaves. That could be yeah. the result of too much nitrogen in the fertiliser. Well, I actually haven't fed it much. Okay. I've, I've looked after the soil. I've, I've given it a bit of... Um, I've forgotten what the fish, the fish one, you know. Okay, yes, like a seaweed or, or yes, fish. Yes, see, see, I'm sorry, seaweed, I'm losing words, sorry. Yes. Okay. So you could help it along with a fertiliser for flowering and fruiting plants. It, okay. It might be too late. I'm not sure. Maybe that in that situation you may get later flowering. So uh, potash. Definitely something with potash or even potash. just a straight potash. Okay, I'll go straight away and get, get some. Um, it gets quite a fierce sun in the morning because it has been rather hot, you know, mm. and it's in a very light position, but it's, it's in, a, in, in lots of light, but not lots of sun. The sun sort of drifts over and it's, you know, it goes about by half past eight. So you don't think it's sunny enough then? Well, I would hold off on that thought. It it sounds like your plant wasn't that healthy and if it hasn't had a fertiliser for flowering and fruiting plants, it might just be needing a, a little bit more of that nutrition. I've got okay. hydrangeas on the south side of my house and so yes. in the winter they don't get a lot of sun no. but at this time of year, middle of the day, they're getting full sun and uh, they're... They're not doing too bad. Like, that is enough. Mm. They also get reflected light from paving, etc. I've got it's right outside the big paving. Yeah. yeah. Well, don't give that. up. Try that okay. fertilizer and see how oh, you go. Well. You you might oh, just get lovely. late flowering. I hope I'm lucky because it's a, it's a new, it's a, 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 the new kind of hydrangea, the duck tuxedo one, the small one, you know? I don't know yeah, it. No, I don't either. I'm fascinated. I'll have mm, to have yes, a... Yes, we'll find out more about that one. It's called, it's called the tuxedo 
dark foliage hydrangea. Oh, mm. okay. I think I know what you mean with the dark foliage. Yeah. Well, I have yeah. got one and mm. it's got a, a Japanese name. Burgundy oh. foliage and mm. pretty flowers. Mm. Well, this well, is a lovely, really pink, you know? Nice. Yeah, Thanks. Beautiful. Oh, well, I'll, I'll keep trying. Thanks very much, ladies. Right. Good on you, Frida. You take care. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Now, we do have to have a quick break. Arthur, very much aware of you. And Veronica from Gosnells, we're aware of your uh, questions as well. And we are back 23 minutes after eight. You're tuned to Let's Talk Gardening. We have the director of Western Australia's Botanic Gardens, Kings Park, of course. We're chatting with Sue McDougall. Hi, Sue. You're with Ray and Faye. How are you? Hello. Lovely to talk to you this morning. On this beautiful morning, I must say. Oh, aren't we lucky? It's a little bit cool, isn't it? <laughs> loving it. Loving it. Are you a, a, a winter or summer person? Um, anything under 35 degrees to me is cold, so I just love summer. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. wow. Well, you'd be pretty feeling pretty good lately, I guess, Sue. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but the stress, Faye, in the end is other plants. I'm always thinking about mm, the plants, that's no it, matter where it? we are, the gardens, and yeah. and those those continual warm days over 35 degrees all also cause stress. So I'm always in this, oh, I love the warmth, but the garden doesn't. And so I'm always, exactly. <laughs> always yeah, changing and depends what camp I'm in, whether it's thinking yeah. about myself yeah. or thinking about the plants. And, yeah. of course, these days you've got a bigger garden to worry about. Yes. Yeah, yeah and there's some very precious plants. Of yeah. course, I feel um. Um, the team does a fantastic job at the Botanic Garden looking after those plants and those collections and, and um, feel very proud that we can, uh, as a team, as a Botanic Gardens and Parks Authority, represent flora from across the state. So um, whilst it's a responsibility, we all just love the challenge of having that focus on West Australian plants and of course as far as botanic gardens go that's actually so unique in the world there's only a few plant a few botanic gardens around the world that do really focus on their local flora oh you know it's a credit to you I've visited botanic gardens around the world and I I come home to our Kings Park and just feel so blessed the location that it's in yeah how well it's maintained how good it looks and showcasing our West Australian Flora, you know, you guys do a, a top job. And, of course, it's one of the most visited tourist attractions in Perth. Yeah, it certainly is. And we won the um, coveted award last year uh, for the best botanic garden in Australia. Now, I'm not sure how that was voted, Faye, but I'll <laughs> take it. Yeah, absolutely. It's really um, a, a real testament to the legacy of the people before me and also the team, the dedication of the integrated team. So the collections management, the display gardens team, the infrastructure team, the science, King Park science, the groundbreaking science that happens, how it it is all integrated and just that conservation horticulture. Whilst we look at the view and think about how amazing it is to go for a picnic, the underlying science and the reason we are in Kings Park, of course, as you say, you and I have this love for the WA flora, and we're lucky we can do that in such a beautiful location. Mm. And, of course, our listeners would be well aware of the plight uh, yeah. that you you face in Kings Park with not only the polyphagous shot hole borer but other, other risks. So today you're going to talk to us about managing 
the collection and maintaining the health. So who who does that and, and what are you looking at going ahead? Yeah, it's actually a really important point. With biosecurity in general, it's always a huge concern. So we're just talking not only polyphagous shot hole borer, but when we talk about things like armillaria, so people will see wherever they go for a bushwalk, you know, the honey fungus that might be next to a tree that's naturally occurring, Phytophthora, which is in in WA, we know that as dieback. And so all of those biosecurity challenges are something that we have management plans and the team works on and we're very aware of hygiene practices. But I think what the polyphagous shot hole borer has done for us is heightened it to another level. Yeah. So this pest is invaded um, or came to Western Australia. We're lucky to find it first in Australia, um, in Western mm. Australia. And yeah, so lucky us. That put, yeah. <laughs> yeah, lucky us, which tends to happen, doesn't it? But it does. in its natural habitat, this pest, of course, isn't isn't a concern. But once you get it into a different environment, um, it it does amplify, and it is we don't know, and that's the truth of it. We just don't know what plants are going to be affected. So when we bring that across to thinking about a lens of our precious collection of plants that's when there are concerns. So we have plants from all across Western Australia, as we've mm-hmm. mentioned. Those plants, we don't know um, how they how they react. So continual inspections, our arbor team and our um, curator of arboriculture has just been taken an incredible positive lead how we manage this within our um, within our environment, so within the botanic garden and the broader parkland continual inspections so we are looking we know what we're looking at um, we've worked very closely with DPIRD with um, traps and inspections and surveillance officers and then just just being able to understand which plants are actually affected so do we know do we know whether it's um, basically we don't know what plants going to be infected because when you see the damage of what's happened in South Africa and damage in California, broad scale destruction to landscapes. And our precious collection is rare and endangered flora is, is such a concern. So that's that's where we're at. All resources just to see if we can protect our collection. So it's a matter of monitoring, obviously, very yeah. carefully. So it, what is what is the outcome if an, if a tree is is infected? Um, if a tree is infected, it's understanding whether it's a rep- what we call a reproductive host or the little borer has just come in, done a taste test and said, oh, I don't like yuck. that and yep. walked away. Yep. Um, yuck. I'm, we're hoping that there's a lot of our West Australian flora that is like, well, our plants within our collection are like that. Yes. And then understanding if what a reproductive host tree means is that you find all all um, stages of their reproductive um, cycle within um, one tree, and then there's a there's a widely available list. It's on the DPED website that you can look yeah. and see which trees are affected. Mm. And um, so, increased surveillance, ensuring those plants are really healthy and growing strong. So, being able to replicate the environment that the trees and the plants that we have. Um, from say the Kimberley or down south in different areas, being able to make sure those plants are really strong and healthy. And with any biosecurity incursion, one of the best defences against um, plants being able to cope with it is making sure their environment is healthy. So we ensure that the 
the nutrients are right, we're making sure the growth, you know, the watering is correct, the mm. microclimate they're living in is is where we can replicate where they would grow naturally. So um, just having an increased focus on keeping our plants really strong and healthy is really important. And the other one is um, making sure we can duplicate our collections. Yes, so yes. understanding if we've got a plant that's an accession, say one-off, um, how do we duplicate that to ensure that we can either save that species or ensure that that, that particular plant um, is not lost yeah. due to something that's been biosecurity-related so, so in the, the case of the fig trees, I can imagine that if they have been uh, affected and identified as potential risks or hosts of this bug, that the risk, the duty of care that you have for public safety, the risk of limbs falling is a real threat. And we yeah. understand that some of those trees are having to be removed. What What then happens to the yeah. landscape? So the landscape on the scarp, those trees, as everyone would know, those trees, their root system is actually a benefit to us um, along that scarp because they're holding up that scarp. That originally, that scarp, certain places of the um, area was a limestone quarry. So it has it has had um, plantings, the ficus that are being removed uh, they're, they're doing us a benefit at the moment, so they're holding up the, that incredible mm. root system. But this, with the polyphagus incursion in Western Australia, it's been found that Ficus macrophylla or the Moreton Bay figs is a preferred host. So there's been trees monitored at Hyde Park and limbs removed there. I know there's been removals in scattered areas all across um, the metro area of macrophylla. And there is that risk of safety, but also that's that risk of the what we call amplifier trees. And so when we think about how close our collection is with our rare and threatened species, at the top of the scarp, um, the decision that has to happen, those trees, aside from all the safety, we do need to preserve our collection also, but also preserve trees from around because once mm. we start to get huge numbers, then we don't know... And, and nobody knows, that's it, because mm. it's a new incursion, what's actually going to happen. So the scarp, the, the scarp um, at the moment will be, once those trees go, they um, a restoration project to restore it to our native um, areas. There's yeah. lots of other opportunities within that space that there'll be different stakeholders and traditional traditional owners consulted to um, and also work together to what that area, once the trees go and once the scarp has, is a changed environment, where that might go for the future. So That's, that's kind of exciting, as sad as it is exciting. for the loss, but mm. the opportunity to, to, to do something new. Yeah, All gardeners like new gardens. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And um, it is a changing landscape in that area. It's a very contested space. Yeah. Um, previously, it's been in an area contested space, so we've got an opportunity to get it right. That's yeah. what that's what I really like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, that's that's so. positive. It's good good to end on a positive note. So it's like watch this yeah. space. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. No. Thank you so much, Sue. So much information and uh, giving us all an insight into obviously what what you all do uh, at Kings Park and. Uh, 
educating us as well. We'd love to have you back and touch base down the track as well, see how things are uh, evolving and developing. We'd be delighted to talk to you anytime. Yeah, you're a champ. Thank you. Thanks, Sue. Take care. You okay, too. Bye. Cheers. She is very much the queen of horticulture mm. in in. In WA, isn't she? Yes, yeah. she's got a wonderful yeah. reputation and she's yeah. doing great things up there. Absolutely. Well respected. Oh, what a job. Yeah, I just it's incredibly challenging. Well, you know, the yes, what's been in the news, mm. it just, it really hits home, doesn't it? And it feels like a great loss, but that feels like a new opportunity because we know that nothing stays the same. Mm. And, of course, these, these fig trees or ficus are... Uh, uh, exotic species. A lot of so, them out here now in the university mm, campus. Now, mm. what is a lesson for our all our listeners is to to watch and act. Like, please remember that your gardens are your responsibility, but we have a responsibility to to the greater environment and monitoring our own plants mm. for signs of pest and disease is really important because you might be seeing something in your backyard that can have a bigger impact. So biosecurity, as Sue said, is is really important. Down the track or in the next couple of weeks, we will look closer at the polyphagous shot hole borer. Yeah, via but, deeper. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I would like everyone to do is just go out and have a look at their tree trunks. And if you see any signs of sugar volcanoes, which is where something has bored into the trunk, you might see frass or sawdust, mm. that signs that something has gone into the trunk. Mm. And you might see this on citrus or any of your fig trees or, you know, any any big trees in your garden, particularly if you've got a dying or unwell limb. Mm. Look back at the source. Now, I'm pretty sure that the shot hole borer is probably around eye height, somewhere in that range. And what you'd be looking for is tiny dots, like the head of a ballpoint pen, Mm. really, really small. Mm. So scanning the trunk, go Mm. out at night time with the torch and see what else you can find. The night garden in summer is amazing. Yeah, as well. All right, now we've got some very patient listeners. Finally, Arthur, how are you? Good morning, Arthur. Oh, okay. Arthur, are you there? Good morning, Arthur. Oh, hello. Sorry to keep you waiting. Yeah, good morning. Thank you. Um, Sorry, sorry, I got a bit lost there. I was was listening to the other story. That's okay. I don't know how how are you ladies today. Very good, thanks, Arthur. Get you to uh, turn your radio off, Arthur. I've done that. (laughs) That was the first thing. And... um, I don't know whether you'd like me to give any advice to some of the questions that you get on, on radio. <laughs> Go for it, Arthur. All right. Katie was on early this morning mm. and she was having trouble with... Um, termites. Finding, you know, t- treating it for termites. Now, I'm not sure whether they're still available or not, but... If she can't get anywhere, she can go to the Department of Agriculture and get some information, but it'd be probably better to go to the pest control company and get some... They can buy little poison blocks. I don't know whether they still sell them or not, but they're very effective. You put them down in the ground all around where the, where you find white ants. 
Yeah, I think she's had pest control out there, Arthur, already. So she's gone down that path. Yeah, she was more or less looking for an alternative to mulch uh, for her garden. No, not 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 mulch, but these are little blocks, little little pine blocks, and they soak them in poison, Mm. and the white ants just go straight for them, Mm. and that kills the white ants. If you want to do that, yeah, yeah. Uh, th- that's 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 my little bit of advice. And the other one is, um, I think it was Tony, was it, that rang up about the rock melon? Yes. Right. The little clingers that's on the vine next to the to the melon that's becoming ripe, a little clinger dies, and you can pick it, you know, virtually after that. But you can leave it a few more days if they want to. What's a clinger? The little clings that's on the vines, the little uh, things that they grip onto weeds and things and hold the vine in position. Like the curly thing? Yeah, little curly clingers, yeah. They, when that one next to the melon dies, Mm -hmm. the the mock melon is ripe. Oh, good tip. Thanks for that, Mm -hmm. Arthur. Well, there you are. (laughs) Too much information from No, no, it was worth waiting for, wasn't it? Yeah, I'm usually I'm usually trying to find things out. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. Thank you for your feedback. And one uh, was one was one other thing I was going to talk to you about, but I can't get it right. I'll, I'll ring you another day. Okay, All right, Arthur. Thank Lovely you to so hear much. from you. Cheers. Thank you. Bye. Bye and let's go to Janjabup. Did I did I get that right? Janjabup. Thank you. Bye, Charlie. Good morning. Uh, good morning, ladies. Happy New Year. You and too. to you too. How can we help you? Uh, I've got capsicums uh, or they're like uh, peppers, but they're, they're, they're dying. Uh, they're starting to go brown from the bottom, uh-huh. and it's going up, up, up into the centre, and then they're just getting rotten. That sounds like blossom end rot, and it's a calcium dis- deficiency. So uh, you can you can help it with. A, a fertilizer or adding calcium to the soil, but that would be a slow result. Check your pH because sometimes the calcium will be locked up because of the pH of the soil. Adding oh, okay, a liquid okay. fertilizer will help because the plant can take it in more quickly through its leaves and through its roots than a a granular fertilizer but it won't it won't improve what you've got on there now but it can in the future so ph monitoring as well as a liquid fertilizer for flowering and fruiting plants it, uh, uh, is um uh, thrive in a good yes or, that would be great thrive flower and fruit elements Yes, that will have trace elements trace. in it as well, but it's probably the, the calcium deficiency. All right, okay. Uh, could I ask another quick question, please? We have to go to a break, Ray. Yeah, we okay. do. So do you want to hold on? Thank you. you can yeah. hold on, Charlie. We just need to go and uh, to a sponsor break. Yeah, no no worries. Okay, I'll hang on. Okay, cheers Thanks. for that. Curtain Radio. Tuned to Let's Talk Gardening with Ryan Fay. Charlie, are you still there? Yes, I'm still here, ladies. Um, 
Um, yes, um, I, I plant uh, the corn in the packets, but uh, most of the time I, I can't get it to to um, shoot out. You know, it just uh, stays dry in the ground. Mm. So not germinating, is that what you're saying? No, no, it's not germinating. Oh. I, I used to get it from, from Mirko Brothers, and now they're closed down, and that nutrients who's taken over, they're not there anymore. I used oh. to buy it in, you know, small packets, but mm. I don't know the stuff in this packets, whether it's, you know... Well, know. the other thing is we do have predators. Uh, I know in our area we have bandicoots, so if I plant broad beans, they come in and all that's left is a little cone-shaped hole in the ground, they they eat the seed and spit out the seed coat. So could, potentially it could be birds, parrots will come in. Uh, so definitely birds, seed eaters could be digging them up too. Oh, oh okay. Um, all right, I'll uh, keep an eye on that. Mm. And I just keep buy, buying it at the shops and uh, it doesn't seem to want to germinate. Well, put a barrier around your little patch, like mm-hmm. a wire over the top like a fine chicken wire, and that might help. Also, in regard to your blossom end rot, as Ray pointed out, inconsistent watering is a factor with blossom end rot. Now, I believe in that case it might not be that you're not watering at the correct times. I also think it's about the plant's ability to take up what it needs when it needs it. And when we get Mm -hmm. 41 degrees, I think everybody is challenged. So... I don't oh, think, okay. yeah, I think it's very much a, a weather thing. Thanks for your All call right. today, Charlie. Thank you very much. Okay, Cheers. bye. All right, and let's go to Hillary's. We're certainly moving around geographically. Mike, how are you? I'm good, ladies. Good, uh, good. How are you? Very good. Thanks, Mike. Now, um, I'd, I'd just like to ask not uh, a question that is not why I rang up originally, but I was listening to your chat about the borer. Yes. Um, just a quick question. Can that borer get into the house? Not That is not a potential risk. That has not been flagged as a risk. I think for the most part they are boring into living, living trees. Living trees. And yeah. what then happens is they, they bring in a fungus that has a relationship with the borer and it's the fungus that causes the trees to climb. Yeah, yeah, because uh, we have a poinciana and some of its limbs uh, died back over winter and uh, I cut them off and I'm pretty sure they had uh, borer in them. Okay, so uh, if you've still got that tree, I would probably report that to DPIRD. Now, do you have a mobile phone with the ability to have get apps on it? Yeah. So you download the My Pest Guide report and and send a report because they're tracking this right across Perth and if you know they they send out a team that inspects everything on your property. Some plants okay. or some trees can have the the borer in it, but they don't complete their cycle and they move on. Uh, but right. but knowing that, because you want to save the health of the rest of your trees as well, Mike. Mm, exactly. Yeah. And they yeah. and yeah. Deepherd need to know how widespread this is. So, please, all of our listeners, try and put your your thinking cap on, monitor your trees, report to Deepherd, and 
don't move wood around. There are barriers in place where where movement of wood should not occur. But we will talk more about that in the coming weeks. Okay. Thanks, right, Mike. I'll, I'll do that. Now, Now, can I oh, move yes. on to my, my real question? Um, we've got a buffalo lawn, uh, and I'm pretty sure it needs dethatching. Is this the right time of year, or is it an acceptable time of year to dethatch a buffalo lawn? Right. I, I would have done it sooner than now. Yeah, I would have done like, it late, it sort of spring. Late spring, spring. before summer, mm, before yeah. when it's really growing. Yeah. Yeah. So you reckon too late for this year? I I will ask my my lawn man because he he specialises in this, but I would think so. Uh, in January, I would think so. Why? I, I was going to have my lawn dethatched uh, for the same reason. I've got buffalo, and he felt that we missed that that boat last year. So yeah, yeah. so I, I that's my information from my own man um, from Infinity Lawns, uh, and he's he's very very knowledgeable. Uh, but I'll double okay. check that for you, Mike. Okay. All right. Okay. That's it. All right. Stay, All right. stay tuned. Thanks okay. for your call. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Now, we've got a couple of uh, messages that have come in, Faye. Uh, Veronica and Gosnell's, her daughter is in Margaret River. She's yep. got 12 lily pillies, about a metre high. So that's quite a manageable height. Uh, but they're covered in snails and she can't find any answers how to get rid of them and can we help? <laughs> well, at this time of year, snails are not very active. They might be there, but they're not active. They sort of mm. tend to move around when it's moist and damp. Mm. So at this time, they're overwintering. So they're mm. just hanging in there. Mm. So one of the things that is very effective is going out and hand-pulling them and putting them in a bucket and dealing with them that way. Mm. Because they're not moving, there's not a lot that you can do um, because they're there, they're bunkered down, they're closed over. If they're not moving, they're not going to move across any of the harmful things that they don't like. For example, diatomaceous earth sprinkled on leaves, it it cuts their bodies their, um, because they don't have, well, the soft part, their mm. foot mm. as they move. So the timing would be different. Uh, there's other things that you can do. I don't think a beer trap would be effective right no. now because, as I said, they're not moving. Repellents would include coffee grounds and eggshells. Uh, copper tape around the trunk, this would be good for any movement. It'll yeah. stop more going, coming up. Going forward. <laughs> It'll mm. also stop them going down. Yeah. So if they're on there, hand then removal. Hand, hand removal. Mm. And if yeah. they're only a metre high, that's very doable. Yeah, mm. yeah. Mm. Uh, there's there's a few other uh, lists, but uh, the snail pellets as well, you know, you can get some supposedly pet-friendly ones, um, but still put them under a under a sort of little barrier where the slugs can go in and out but pets can't get them but you would do this at a time when they're moving so after rains mm, mm-hmm. in the cooler weather all right and john phoned in from bunbury he has a friend who had beautiful hydrangeas that cut them down with a chainsaw to a couple of inches off the ground they came back very healthy but they didn't flower for the following year yeah that yeah. that was a hard prune that was a very and actually one. at the present yeah. moment camellias my uh, Camellia japonica is budding, mm. so if it, when you're out there like hedging and cutting things back, it's probably the time to stop cutting mm. back your camellias 
because they're uh, now the starting to produce their flowering buds. Yes, okay. All right, we will be back in a moment. Curtain Radio. Our special guest this morning, Simon Boyle, dragon fruit expert. He's in the studio with us right now. How are you, Simon? Oh, good, thank you. How's it all going? How's your... Not not bad. It has, it has its challenges, but yeah. Yeah, don't we all? <laughs> are your headphones okay? Um, I can't hear much. Okay, we will sort you out. Yeah. Okay, very, very busy this morning. Um, so dragon fruit questions, bring them on. Uh, 94841927 and you can email us by going to gardening at curtainfm.com.au. Uh, we're going to Dianella. We're talking about eggplants, one of my favourites. Phil, hi. Morning, Phil. Yeah, good morning, girls. Uh, Just a quick uh, question. Um, I do a bit of gardening, whatever, and last year I put the the um, the eggplants out the front, and no problem. This year I I put them around the back, and uh, they're growing reasonable, but they start to have uh, curl. The leaves are curling. And they got uh, rust on them. When I say rust, they're uh, dying. Mm. You know, yeah, you know what that might be? Is that leaf curl or? I, I would really love to see a photo, Phil. Are you able to send us in a picture of of what's happened? Yeah, I can. Yeah. Uh, what is? Um, what's the email? What I'll do, Phil, is I'll put you back to Bev and she can give it to you off air. And if you could send a pic through, we can respond to that today. Beautiful. How's that sound? Just, talk, yeah, just talking about um, dragon fruit. Uh, last year, I chopped a fair bit of uh, leaves off, plants off. This year, I've still got some, but... Um, some of the new stuff, how long does that take to uh, start flowering? The new stuff, um, well, no, well, look, there has a few variables. I mean, I would, I would allow at least two years. Um, it varies due to climate, obviously. I mean, you could have in Southeast Asia and they'll grow in 12 months. Um, are you growing them up a really tall pole? I mean... There's, there's so many variables, but I would I would give yourself at least two years. Oh yeah, fair enough. No, because the bottom ones uh, where I left a few long uh, stems, I got probably about a dozen of them, and at the moment they are flowering, beautiful flowers, and bees are just you know, having a ball. Top mm. uh, ones, yeah. So I might have to wait two years. Yeah. I mean, you could be surprised earlier, but you, I, I sort of allow two years because I, I don't want to sort of set you up for a little bit, bit of disappointment. You know? <laughs> Good on you, Sam. So we, we will talk more about the cultivation of growing with Simon this morning, everything from A to Z. Okay. No worries. Thank you, girls. Good All right, on thanks, you. Phil. Cheers for that. Oh, actually, Hello. Phil, I was going to put you back to Bev. Okay, stay, oh, stay yeah. tuned. All right. All right. There, we've done that. Now, Bill of Hall's head called in has a large avocado tree that's looking very sad sick fruit did not grow larger than a 20 cent piece any reason or advice very of course i'll be looking at the soil mulching uh what what it's been fed what the leaves look like that can be a big indicator if there's any browning around the edges 
uh, the risk of anthracnose. Yeah. Uh, mm. But it, it could be winds and heat. You know, 41 like degrees mm. has given trees an absolute Crashing. hammering this year. Crashing. And yeah. the winds are mm. oh, just incredible. So, mm. uh, yeah, if, and Hall's Head, uh, certainly windy, coastal. Coastal. So, yeah, the, the whole uh, so many, kit and caboodle. And water, yeah. Mm. So there's so many factors there, Bill. Um, would you like a picture? If a photo always helps. Always helps us. So, Bill, if you mm. are listening, gardening at curtainfm.com.au. And yep. for everyone's awareness, curtain is spelt C-U-R-T-I-N, not the curtain that you hang up in your house. Sometimes people make that mistake and they add an A in. So it's C-U-R-T-I-N. Right. Over to you, Ray. Over to me. Giveaway. I need to give something away. All right. How about a $75 gift voucher from our good buddies, Paul and Linda Michener from Green Life Soil. They're up in Middle Swan. Now, delivering a greener garden is Green Life's motto. And you can check out the Green Life Soil Co. monthly newsletter. has heaps of timely information. I love to have a read-through each month. And there's a garden guide of what to do, when to do it. It's free. Just register online to become a member by going to greenlifesoil.com.au. And whilst you're there, have a good read-through of their website because there is some really handy information on it. And did you know, Faye, that till the end of this month, any order of mulch over two cubic metres, which... Equates to three trailer loads. Whoa. Yeah, it's <laughs> delivered at half price just till the end of this month. So you've got to really get onto it. Uh, you could share that with a neighbour. And actually, I think I might take advantage of it myself, to be honest. And uh, only happening till the end of January. So you need to get your orders in so that they can have everything. You're writing I'm that down. I'm going to put that on my list. Yeah. So, yeah, so two cubic metres that uh, can be delivered at half price. And if that sounds like too much, can share some with your neighbours. So I think that works out to about a 20 square metre. Uh, if they sh- she said to me, if people want to get a picture of what that would look like, um, about 10 centimetres deep. That's what it's going to give you. So excellent. Now you can browse their fa- Facebook page too for updates and they are open Monday to Sunday. Now for your chance to win $75 voucher to go spending at Green Life Soil Co. Here's John's question, true or false? He's going to come in and talk a little bit about to the answer to this question because it's fairly topical and also unusual. Um, John, we know as already, John does unusual. True or false, there is a bird that has found a way to eat cane toads. Is that true <laughs> or is that false? There is a bird that has found a way to eat cane toads. Okay, we're going straight to the nine o'clock news, everybody. Give Bev a call, 94841927. You've got to be a Curtin FM member and not won a prize in the last 28 days. Sunny today with a maximum of 33. Right now it's 26 degrees and the humidity is sitting at 47%. Tomorrow we're looking at another sunny day with a maximum of 30 and on Monday sunny again with a maximum of 28 and so we're sitting in the twos for monday and tuesday and it's jumping up to 30 from wednesday and thursday looking at 34 at this stage and as john uh, gave us information earlier our rainfall so far 
uh, and this is since November 1st of last year, is 7.6 mils only. Wouldn't it be lovely to have a bit of rain? I know a few areas have had a dash of rain. We did Friday you last did. week. We had so a lovely jealous. rain. Oh, I was jealous. Washed yeah. all the dust off the roofs. Oh, my word. Yes. So now we have a winner of our $75 Green Life voucher, Janet of Leeming. Congratulations. That voucher is on its way to you this week. Let us know what you get up to it. You may even like to... Look at this special offer that uh, Green Life have out at the moment on the half-price delivery. And, of course, the question was, there is a bird that has found a way to eat cane toads. Go for it, John. Yeah, well, I saw this on the ABC News and was very surprised because the much-maligned bin chicken, mm. or white ibis, has found a way to eat cane toads. And they use a stress-and-wash technique. They pick it up. <laughs> throw it against the ground until it releases all of its poison. But isn't it clever? How do they know to do that? Yeah, then they take it to a creek or water source, give it a wash. Rinse it out. And, and rinse it. But they also point out that the yeah. toxin of the cane toad is not that bad for birds. It's right. you know, obviously not going to do them any good. But uh, Well, yeah, they can survive it. Yeah, now what we need to know, train all the other ibises because it's obviously a learned technique and how far are the cane toads moving down what's the latest information um, uh, they do, all they've got on, on this is that they have reached wa they are but yeah. I, i'm not sure how far they're going to come down the coast because there is some very dry areas between the kimberley mm. and here mm. they'll hitchhike they'll hitchhike <laughs> they'll, you know, these trucks will give anyone a lift <laughs> and, oh. uh, and yeah but it's a fascinating story i Say, go to the ABC site and just look for the story on the ibis eating Or you could share it onto the Let's Talk Gardening Facebook page. I'll share it there as well, yes. All right, thank you. And could I just say, you know, a hello to my dear friend Anna who broke her ankle this week and is in a very sorry state. So, Anna, get well soon. (laughs) Yes, and all the best from all of us, Anna. We heard your story and we're sorry. Yep, yep. It's uh, okay. it, 2024 has already had a bit of drama attached to it. <laughs> it, has, it has. Yeah, we do live in hope. All right, yep. thank you. Okay, thank you. Okay. okay. Now we're going straight to Belia. We're talking about a friend, Japani. Frank, good morning. Good morning. How are you today? We're great. Thank you. I have a about a 15, maybe 16-year-old frangipani tree in the front garden. Always gives lots of flowers and that. But I've noticed the last couple of years, the flowers drop off after about a day or maybe two days. Is that normal? I think it, it can be normal. Depend depends on their location. So that can be due to wind or um, they're quite quite short-lived flowers. Yeah. There's not true. really much you can do about that, Frank. Just enjoy them while they're there. Okay, then. Thank you. Have a good day. You All too. Right. Good on you. And we're talking about bees with Carol, who is situated in Martin. Hi, Carol. Yes, good morning, crew. How are you all? Good, good thanks, morning. Carol. How can we help you? Well, I had dozens and dozens and dozens of bees in my garden because I've got two bird baths. So I had one bird bath in the middle of my veggie patch and another bird bath in my normal garden. And I went out two days ago, and there's not a bee. And mm. I sat there this morning, and I think I've seen about six bees. Just That's in the okay. Bushes. And I, I reckon I can tell you why. When... 
the weather was hot, 41 degrees. They were all coming in for the water because they needed it. They use it to cool their hives. Two days ago, it was cold. And I actually went out about one o'clock in the afternoon. Well, cooler, we should say. I well, want to go yeah. as far as saying cold for your car. <laughs> well, in the shade, okay. it was quite cool. The temperature was low. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so what I found was the the bees were not as active. And in fact, I still had male roosting native bees still sitting on their little stick at one o'clock in the afternoon because the weather was too cool for them to fly. So, oh. yeah, just changing weather conditions. They're having a breather. So don't worry, oh. Carol. I was re- I've Googled it. I've rang people <laughs> up. I've been really worried. Because what happened, I've got overrun of rats in my veggies. Oh, dear. And the, all my all my watermelons and zucchinis, and they haven't touched the pumpkin. Yet. So I went and got rat sack, and I'm thinking, oh, man, my- so I Googled that to see if rat sack would have, you know, deterred them to come in. But I don't think so. Do you? No, no. Two different modes of operation and effect. No. Well, good luck, oh, so- Carol. Thanks very much. Okay. Cheers. Bye. Bye. And Maggie of Mandra called in. She's got tomatoes growing and the fruit is yellow. Is there such a fruit as a yellow tomato? Yes, there, there is. absolutely is. Mm. There's yellow tomatoes. There's ripe green tomatoes. Yes. There's striped. There's orange. <laughs> you name it. There's it's black, there. black yeah. Russian. Long so many different. Yeah. Okay, okay, let's move along, Ray. We're in Beckenham. Graham, how are you? Hi. Great to hear you again. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, and I'm glad you've called in with a dragon fruit question because we've got Simon here and we've been itching to get started on the topic. <laughs> Terrific. Well, we've had dragon fruits for the last oh, four or five years mm. and we get flowers but no fruit. Ah, over to you, Simon. Quite perfectly. Okay, the first question is, um, and I think I know the answer, um, do you know what variety it is? Uh, no. <laughs> okay. Um, where did you get it from? Uh, Bunnings. Oh. <laughs> Gee, that sounded positive, Simon. <laughs> okay. Go, Simon. Okay. Look, with oh, respect funny. to places like that, they don't really know much about them. Um, you, 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 you say it didn't produce any fruit. I mean, I'm... You see, the problem is you don't know whether it's self-fertile or self-sterile or, or what. Have you tried hand pollination? Yes. And so you've taken pollen from the stamen and put it on the stigma? Tried to, yeah. Yeah. Um, you, you saw poll- pollen granules on the actual stigma? So there's, you actually properly cross-pollinated uh, it? My wife did that. I think she probably did. Mm-hmm. Well, do you need another she's plant? He's a garden queen. Um, look, the pro- the problem is when you get them from okay, your neighbour, your friend, Bunnings. They don't really know what they are. Mm. They don't know whether they're self fertile, self sterile, what variety it is, etc. So you end up with a, just a plant. I mean, I would assume anything. from what you're saying, it is it's probably self sterile. 
And what does that mean, Simon? It basically it means it's sterile, sterile to itself. It's yep. sterile to its own pollen. Yes. So basically it means you need pollen from a, a different variety. Okay. Do you have more than one variety? Do you know, Graham? No, I think we've only got the one variety. Oh, you need another mm. dragon fruit plant you, then. You, I think you do, <laughs> yes. From the, from, from the beginning, I would make like, – like you may have done already, like sounds of it – I would make sure that you've probably probably tested it. I would take the pot, so like you have, take the pollen from the stamen, put it in the stigma. You've got lots of pollen granules on it and – have another shot at it. Okay, it definitely hasn't set. Right. I can only assume it's still sterile. We do actually have two varieties. <laughs> okay, then you need to store some pollen. So you need to take pollen from one and put it on the other one. And now right. the, next, the next problem is going to be is they'll try and bug you up. They'll flower different different days. Mm. So, so you will need to store some pollen from one and put it in the fridge and put it on the other one. So how do you do that when you say store the pollen? Exactly how do you I, do that? Well, I, I go out there, get myself my takeaway container, put it under the flower, uh, ruffle the stamens, yeah. get all the pollen off, yeah. uh, dry it out for maybe 24 hours, put it in the fridge right. and put a lid on. You can put those silica gel, um, you know, those little capsules, those little, little bags. You get in with your medicine. moisture. Yes. Mm. You put that in it and store it in the fridge. Now, you bring it out in, okay, whenever you need it, maybe, okay, the next day or two days' time, and then take it out and put it on yellow dragon fruit. Mm-hmm. With a little brush? With a, as I say all the time, I've got an extensive makeup brush collection. Yeah, yeah, nice. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I, I literally, I've got more than my wife does. Yeah. Yeah, I believe it. <laughs> now I know what to do with all my spabies. So okay. can you still fail if you haven't got the correct cross-pollinator? Can or just another plant of um, any so, variety? Yeah, well, simplifying it, yes, you can use any other variety, but there are varieties which are, um, we use, we say sibling, siblings, um, seedlings. Okay. Sibling plants. I mean, when you grow a, a dragon fruit, you can grow up to 100 seeds. You could have multiple varieties that are actually related to each other, like purple, I think purple haze and physical graffiti. They, are, I believe, are actually probably sibling, sibling plants. Now, if you take one pollen from one to the other, it may not sit. Okay. But generally speaking, if you take pollen from one different variety, put it in the other one, it will sit. Yeah. Is there a go-to plant that, you know, the pollen works really well with just about everything else? <sighs> On all these dragon fruit pages, they come up with this concept of a, a universal pollinator, mm-hmm. which I look at and go, well, not really. I mean, it basically means it's self-fertile. Yes. It will pollinate everything else. Including itself. Including itself. itself. Mm-hmm. So basically anything that's self-fertile, you can use okay. on anything else. Yep. Okay. All right. So that's what you're looking for. And self-fertile plants... Uh, are they marked on your page? Because I know you've got a big list there. I do. Like a graph. Yes. That's a bit out of date. I, as you know, I've been transferred to my, my big block of land. And I've, <laughs> it's not that big, but big for me. But, you know, I'm creating two different lists. One is self-fertile, one is self-drive. So you can go straight to a list. But that is what you're referring to is an out, somewhat outdated list. Okay. Because I've got, I've, I've got more varieties in since then. Yes. And I'm just trying to jig the list up and... So for people that don't know, Simon's been doing this for about eight years 
and like many gardeners, he's he kind of outgrew his space mm. and bought more land and has now how many varieties of dragon fruit? Uh, 107. <laughs> um, that that includes my two hybrids that I'm creating. That's mm. amazing. And you've got a Facebook page so people can access a lot of information and follow you. Um, Simon Dragon Fruit. Yeah, so, Simon's Dragon Fruit, yeah. Just, just Google that on your Facebook and... Yeah. So, Graham, are you still there? Yes, thank yeah, you. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll... If it's all right with you, we'll just continue our conversation with uh, Simon and you can listen That's in. Fine. Okay. Yeah, thank you. You've told me enough. All right. Thanks, Good Graham. on you, Graham. Cheers. Thank you very much. So how, how do people grow dragon fruit? Start by what does it look like? Well... Most most people are obviously going to grow them by cutting. Most yeah. people. So it's a cactus. Yeah, the cactus. Yes. Um, no, not not most. Most people aren't as fanatical as I am. So mm. you, you're obviously going to get your cutting, and you you might use a bit of um, that propagating gel, and put them in potting mix. They, they, they grow easy. They, they're very very easy to grow. Mm-hmm. But of course, I grow from seeds as well. So seeds 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 and cuttings. All right. So let's just talk about the cuttings. What size cutting? Would you start with? Um, well, I wouldn't have anything less than about 10 centimetres. Okay. And the biggest size that you could have, 30 centimetres, a metre? Well, technically, it doesn't really matter. I mean, if, yeah. you, if, you, if you could support it, you could probably put something in it to like a metre long. It would, it would be yeah, yeah. silly. And you need to stake it. So how, how do you grow them? What kind of uh, trellis do you use? Um, well, I use, I use fritted pine posts the tire on top but unfortunately sometimes using treated pine is a bit, it's a bit controversial mm. which that you mean well it's it's treated to keep the bugs out of it because you don't want to plant something and have it attacked by termites for example mm. That's mm. right. I, I, I use a treated pine, but you know, I've, I've had the. Uh, some people will say there's art. Well, we know there's arsenic in it. Yeah. But and it leaches into the soil. But some people seem to seem to suggest that arsenic gets in from the soil into the fruit. But I've actually had them lab tested, and, and, they, and they don't. That's not no. the case. Yeah. Well, you can't do more than that. So, what sort of soil preparation? Um. Well, so I've got sand at home. So then. Obviously, you're going to mix your manures, your compost, but they're not, they're not going to grow in basically just plain sand. So, I, I use a a clay additive, keep keep all the moisture around the roots. Um, you just have manure and compost, and that's that's it. That's it mm-hmm. basically. Dig it into like your where your root zone would be. Yep. So, what a thirty centimetre hole or more? What's their root system like? Um, pretty. Pretty um, pretty surface surface growing. I would say, look, if you could possibly dig it like half a meter. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the bigger the hole, the bigger the plant. Yes, but then I've I've got a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you imagine trying to dig dig 107 holes. It's yeah. I'm pretty tired. Well, that's so. why you're muscly. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we've got to have a short break. Nine four eight four one nine two seven is our number, and our special guest in the studio right now is Simon Boyle from Simon's Dragon Fruit. It's a Facebook page. Check it out. Curtain Radio. It's twenty three minutes after nine at ten a.m. George Rinaldi will keep you entertained with the classic sixties. We look forward to that. Straight out to the lines. We're in Guildford. Richard. Good morning. 
Good morning, ladies. Just a quick one on agapanthus. The yes. bloom's too late this year, or in Guildford already spent. Just wondering, is there any way of cutting and preserving those magnificent colours you know, next year when uh, they're in full bloom? Preserving them what, as a dried flower? Either way, dried or cut. I I don't think so. I think the the blooms fade and age quite quickly and then drop off. Yes. No, not, I just yeah, thought, not like a, a dried flower that, you, you know, holds its, its own. You can't yeah. spray them with hairspray or anything like that. Oh. I hope. Mm. Uh, maybe a lacquer? Some, some flowers they do spray and that uh, doesn't keep them in 100% uh, colour but uh, at oh. least it stops them drying out because obviously don't haven't had it or hadn't had any experience with it. No, and but what we'll do, we could ask John to Google and a florist might know but maybe Absolutely. no one's tried it. <laughs> I think what you'd have to do is... Um, like spray them with something like a varnish that will set hard and keep the air out and hmm. and that might help them last a little while. But, yeah, maybe John yeah. can find something. You know, they're so spectacular when they're mm. in the ground and um, but a month later they're just stalks. I know, so, yes. All right. Okay. All right. Thanks Thank for the time. Good luck with that, Richard. Bye. Bye. Yeah, Bye. Bye. wouldn't that be lovely? Yeah, they are a beautiful flower when you have them. Uh, Kate of Midland said there is a beautiful display of dragon fruit along West Swan Road. I know where you're talking, Kate, Katie. And she said they're on the right-hand side, just past Reed Highway traffic lights in West Swan. There is a mass, magnificent display of dragon fruit, all beautifully trellised. And mm. yeah, I know. Yeah. Do you know of them? I, I think I know the the, uh, the gentleman that's, who owns yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, thanks for calling in. Now, actually, we have another question for you. Let's go to Bicton. Diane, how are you? Good morning. Simon's here. Go ahead. Good morning. Um, morning. I have, a, I have a dragon fruit that I dug up from my daughter's property in Dawesville. It had a fruit on it that year. I put it in. It's growing beautifully. No fruit. Uh, lots of new growth. Do they fruit on old growth or new growth? Um, when you mean new growth, um, I would say um, if it's so soft and sappy, no, yeah. it's not going to grow on that. Yeah. Um, yeah. It has to be, or you, you think think about it, they can have half a kilo, a kilo fruits. So the, the branch yeah. has to be hard enough to be able yeah. to sustain, to support it, to, to support it yes. So, yeah. yes, so if yes, it, it hasn't has, got any buds yet, it wouldn't get any this year? Um, it could still bud. I mean, okay. I've, I've I've had dragon fruit budding like it would it be possibly April. I've had, you can have right. really late late blooming and have them flowering right. over winter. Um, ripening, yeah. sorry, ripening over winter. But yes, yeah. so transplanting it, it hasn't affected. It has grown beautifully. Yes, but it just hasn't got any. It did have a fruit on it down in Dawesville, mm. but it hasn't up here. Is it in a pot or in the ground, Diane? It's in the, it's in the ground, staked up on a tra on a frame. Yeah. Okay. So, what what sort of uh, treatment should Diane give it now? She's obviously moved it into its spot. Fe what sort of feeding regime? The the first thing that 
I think of it you need a, need a sturdy sturdy trellis. I mean, yes, it's not that. Um, it was just up a, up a like a, a metal stake. It's up a, a metal stake with a big ring around the top, mm. and I've tied it up onto that. But it, it's growing and it's growing out yeah. long shoots all over the place. But it, yeah, but they won't fruit. So that's all I want. Basically, wanted to know whether yeah. whether it will ever fruit again for me. Oh, sure it will. You just, it will you just yeah. need to have patience? That's all. Yeah. And yeah. what sort of uh, water requirements? Um, I would. The point is, when it's really hot, I mean these these forty degree days we've had, yeah. I'd, I would give them a bit of a, a, a hose. Mm. I mean, you, yes, I you yeah. you're allowed you're allowed your two waterings a week. You water those, yeah. but if you can yeah. come out on those really hot days and give them a drink, yeah, yeah, yeah I do that. Yeah, they, they I, do. I fertilize it, and and I don't know whether you know anything about um, native lime trees. I've got one that's five years old. It uh, flowers every year, and it gets the tiniest little wormy thing on it and it falls off i haven't had a fruit on it yet mm, a wormy thing uh, not a wormy it, it's part of the fruit but it just falls off after the flower it just is starting to develop but it won't develop it just goes yellow and falls off and the bees love it the bees are all over it every year mm, sounds I don't like know what a else to do pollination issue yeah yeah so how do i self-pollinate do i get a brush and go from one flower to another you do, that you yes. Talk? That's all you do? Yes. <laughs> that's what the bees quite often do for us. So Yeah, yep. right. Okay. Yep. Well, I might try that this next year when it flowers and see if I can get some fruit on it because I love that lime, finger mm. lime. Otherwise, yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd contact um, Mark Tuchek at um, Bush Tucker uh, because yeah, okay. he's an expert on, on native, right. native right. fruiting trees. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll put Mark yeah. on my list to get yeah. in. yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. good luck with okay, that, Diane. Well, I'll, just, I'll just be patient and wait. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we have to do. Yeah. Thanks, Diane. Okay. Cheers. Thank you very much. Bye. So, a uh, sort of controlled release fertilizer, or um, I've had that. I think I think someone was referring to Merco as I, I my, my court. I'm having that problem because I use Nitrofosca. Yes. And I, I at the start of every season, say so start of. Spring, summer, and autumn, I will give them nitrofosca, but then I get it in large quantities. Yeah, and that's so, a controlled release it's fertilizer. A, it's a slow, it's a slow, slow release. Yes, um, I used to get mine from there, um, but I don't know where to get. So it something there. similar. So it's a complete fertilizer for flowering mm, plants. Yeah, and yep. then of course I add, add the potash as well. Okay. So, that's what I do. Look, look, look. Let's face it. As long as they're getting the NPK. Yep. That'd be fine. You know, there's nothing special. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. with all the different varieties, how many different flower colours are they? Uh, well, basically two. Oh. Um, white? White. White. There's, it's pinky, purpley coloured. Um, there are... There's a, oh, there's yellow, isn't there? Yellow flower? Um, there are some... Look, there's, there's a, a black Afri- Afrikaans, which has got... I think there's the sepals, outside petals are like a, a caramelly brown colour, mm. but the and the and the, sli- the, the outer petals are sort of slightly yellow. But the main body of the flower is just white, so it's okay. essentially just white and pinky purpley. All right, and who are the pollinators for dragon fruit? Um, my my place is generally just bees. 
Okay, and you? And me. Well, I'm the main pollinator, <laughs> yes, in the makeup brush. So in their natural environment, do they have a specific pollinator? Um, I guess we're talking about, about South and Central America and, and Asia. That's, that, bats, I believe, moths, that sort of thing. Yeah. But, of course, we don't have them here. So, mm. And um, I, I just didn't really you – can't, you can't really rely on naturally bees to do it because you want them to go from one to the other. I mean, I have mine possibly the other side of the yard. I mean, the most reliable way would be yourself. Yes, okay. Well, you must have a pretty busy job out there at night time, do you? Looking at all your I, flowers. I go down to my we'll call call it a farm and every spend every night. Mm. And mm. God only knows what the neighbours must think. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we don't worry about stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Some car rocks up every every night with lights flashing everywhere. God only knows I'm up to something something legal. It's very Welcome funny. to my world, Simon. Yeah. 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 You're always out wandering around at night with a torch. Yeah, headlight you? on. Yeah. And <laughs> I'm, a, I'm about to break in somewhere, I think. Oh, dear. Oh, Robin's just ringing through. She wants to talk about drying flowers. So this is obviously in relation to the gentleman who called in about the agapanthus. And John did bring in uh, some information. Hold hairspray a few inches from roses and spray them evenly while in their vase. Remove the bouquet and hang upside down using twine or dental floss in a dark place until dry. Put them back in the vase with water and repeat every few days. So, so that's for roses. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So you could perhaps do similar. Yeah. I just I'm not sure how long. Yeah. The the blooms will Hold. stay attached. I agree. All right, Robin. How are you? Um, well, thank you. Thank you for being back. I've missed you. Oh, thank um, you. I've, <laughs> I've, I've done quite a bit of drying with flowers, and if they are tubular in particular, if they are carefully placed into the appropriate size container that will hold them in situ, pour an extremely dry, clean, white sand around them, yes. stick them in the sun, let them dry, take them out, and they're dry. And the other thing you can do is with paper, you can do the same thing with flowers in a microwave, and they will keep their colour. But you have to check it every five seconds. Wow. So that you're not cooking it. So with something like the agapanthus, if you held it upside down, put it into a vase supported it or strung it up with wire or string and poured sand in around yes put it put it in a bucket yep just simply rest the flower in a in a bucket um but you you've no you've got to have it flower side up because you've got to pour into the bells and the bells have to be kept in situ right for the presentation of the flower mm. That won't be an easy thing, will it? The no, weight of the it, sand it will... Because you just do it very gently. Okay. Um, I just do it with a small funnel. Mm. Takes ages, but it's yep. worth it. Okay. And, and and the alternative being the microwave. So you would actually put that between white paper, did you say? Well, if you're going to keep the shape of the flower, yeah. you've got to somehow support the shape within the existing flower Mm. and using small amounts 
of shredded paper or that sort of thing and just have a go. Mm, Roses work wonderfully well and they hold their petals. wonder if you could use pasta or rice. I've got no idea because it's dry and you don't want... Well, you're not going to have a fire anyway, but you just have to keep on monitoring it. Yes. um, And seeing how it's going and you learn and you don't lose the colour. The colour will stay red rose. Mm. Wow, thank you, Robin. Oh, this is quite interesting. It could be quite it's therapeutic. It's another whole subject. Yeah, now, here's a bucket of hydrangea flowers for you to cheap. try, Ray. You can do it with all sorts of things. You can do it with a nasturtium. Um, but the thing is to just have a go and try, and you learn how As long to leave mm. it, mm. what temperature to go to, depending upon the strength of the microwave. Mm. Okay, it's very right interesting. Trend. You just get clean white sand from the sand suppliers. Yep. If it's beach sand, it's got to be washed and not have any salt. Mm. Mm. Yeah, easier to buy it already prepared. Mm. Yes. Lovely. Thank you, Robin. Okay. okay. Thank you. Have okay. a great weekend. Bye. <laughs> Bye. All right. I think, uh, what do you want to do? I really want to get to some emails. Okay. But, um, Go ahead. Do okay. Well, let's do this. These have come in over the week. So Bill Massey has sent us in an email. Good morning, ladies. Welcome back after your well-deserved mammoth break. Mammoth break, yes. (laughs) We admit to that and we truly needed it. And he would like to put polystyrene in the bottom of plant pots to help drainage and reduce how much potting mix is used. Is there a risk that chemicals from the polystyrene could damage the plants? No, Bill, I think you're pretty safe. We've looked into polystyrene before and the risks of leaching are caused more when the product is heated or burnt rather than when it's used as is. And this is why they they use them for transporting food products. Mm, It is considered safe. So... Rosemary has sent in a photo of what what looks like one of the stone fruit. The plant appeared late last year and not something she'd planted. Over the years, she's thrown in nectarine kernels into this area. Can you tell if this is, in fact, a fruit tree or just a weed? Yes, it does appear to be some sort of stone fruit, possibly nectarine. As to whether it will grow true to type is anyone's guess. But, you know, if you like a challenge... Keep on growing it, see prune it, feed it, and see what happens. You may be on to a real winner. This one has come in from Jenny, and it's a beautiful trade scantier plant called Purple Heart. So mm-hmm. she'd like some advice. She got this from a florist, didn't know the name of it, and they said it would grow in water, but she's found that it just goes limp. So for best results, uh, take a fresh cutting, put it in water, If you put in a couple of drops of hydrogen peroxide, that adds a bit of oxygen to the water and stops the water from fouling. And you may find that it will grow roots. Also put it in a brightly lit position because I find with my kitchen, all I've got is a skylight and plants don't actually take root particularly well. So if you move it into a position that gets window light, you have more chance. Or put it straight into the ground, Mm. bury it 
up to or past a node mm. and where the node is is where the roots will develop. It's a very hardy, easy to grow Vigorous. cutting. Yeah. And there are certainly other varieties. So in my basket today I've brought this plant in. Yeah. It has a strong purple colour. Uh, it has tiny purple flowers which mm. are beautiful. They form in the axils. And it's a great contrast with a lime green in the garden. And it's, it's more it's rambler, a great, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It'll, I have to keep cutting it across because yeah. yeah. it will creep across the path. But there are other varieties too. There's green with white stripes. There's plain green, which is a bit of a weed, uh, but I it's like, edible. I like yeah. Mm. Mm. And there's also a purple with a silver stripe mm. down the middle. Yeah, so I've it's it's a great filler, great foliage. So... Uh, this has come in from Mel. My mature pom fruit fall victim to medfly year after year. The issue for me is the height of the trees as I can't net the fruit that is up high, even with a ladder. Is there a way I can prune it to keep it manageable? Absolutely, and that is the key. Now is the time to do summer pruning and particularly while the weather is mild, not when it's 41 degrees, but a summer prune will allow you to or it will allow the plant to regrow without putting on rampant root growth. If we prune in winter when the plant is dormant, then the benefit is we can see the framework and structure of the tree. It's easy to prune, but you do get a lot more prolific growth. It just, yeah. It signals to the tree to put on a lot of growth. So doing it now will keep it much more compact and manageable. Okay. So, yeah, pruning uh, and netting is key for fruit trees. Okay. We have to have a short break. When we return, Shirley, we'll be having a chat with you. Curtain Radio in Welcome back to Let's Talk Gardening. Our special guest in the studio, Simon Boyle from Simon's Dragon Fruit, which is his Facebook page. You can check that out. Okay, we're straight out to the lines. We're in Stratton. Shirley, how are you? Oh, good morning, girls, and a happy new year. I'm to you too, Shirley. Well, I actually, I was just, I'm, I mean, probably there's a lot of people doing what I'm doing. I just want to say during these hot days we have, and um, if people put, I have a container in my kitchen sink and I have a container in the laundry and you'll be, I don't have a water tank and you'll be surprised how much water goes down our sink because I have nine fruit trees and I have five grapevines. I've only got a little property, I have a lot of fun actually. And uh, it's amazing how I empty all day in these, and I've got three small fruit trees which need a lot of water. Mm. So oh, good on you. And I'm just letting people know, put put a container in there. Capture got, the water. Mm. I, I catch it all, absolutely. Um, and I keep both these things busy. I'll be washing up in them as well. And if one's full and I'm emptying all the time, and it's just worth it when our plants on these hot days, extra. summer. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just let people know, just do it. It's really not an effort. And it's just wonderful. You're able to put, especially plants that need a little more than others, yeah. um, when you're in the new. And, uh, and oh, look, I tell you, I'm, I'm emptying all day. Well, and it's it's a joy to go out much. and look at your plants at all different times of the day, isn't it, Shirley? Oh, um, yes. Uh, since I retired six years ago, I'm... I don't do much housework, actually. Every now and again, I know I've got to get inside and do something. (laughs) I just go for a very early morning walk. And then, I mean, I I had a sister, elder sister. I'm holding you up, aren't I? But I've got an elder sister that just... 
just retired, I said, enjoy your AM because in the PM you can just relax. You get yeah. so much done in the mornings. Yes. It's so cool. And I love it, yes. Um, but anyway, the water is, it's worth doing because it's really a lot of water. You don't realise it that yeah, Well, especially in the shower before the hot water comes through. Well, I've actually put buckets in the shower. When I used to have a granddaughter live with me, she's left now, she's 23, and she, she got annoyed. So anyway, that didn't work very good. But I put it in there, but I don't have long showers. Well, you know what I say to my grandkids, my house, my rules. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, I know. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh. All right. Thanks, thanks for your call, Shirley. A good reminder. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Cheers for that. Now, I think I will give away a $75 gift voucher from our good buddy, Kerry, from Bigger Trees. What do you reckon? Go for it, Ray. Okay. Bigger Trees say life is better with frangipanis. And we certainly agree with you, Kerry. Bigger is, of course, your frangipani ornamental and fruit tree specialist nursery in Pickering Brook. And they have huge amounts of magnificent stock arrive every week with heaps of colourful delights for you to go and have a look at. Big plants and for little plants, Bigger's Trees has you covered and they do deliver across the metro area. Browse their colourful Facebook page for updates. And I've seen lately there's lots of videos that they're posting uh, of the nursery. It's really nice to have a look at that. I'm due for a bit of a trip up there myself, I reckon. I'm itching away to get up there. They're open Thursday to Sunday each week. And if you'd like more details, biggertrees.com.au. Now, here's your question. Of course, you must be a Curtin FM member, not to have won a prize in the last 28 days. Here's John's quiz question for you. This is a curly one. Well, it was for me. Um, I think a lot of our listeners will get it very easily. Listen hard. What three things had better scurry to get out of the way of a surrey with a fringe on top. What three things had better scurry to get out of the way of a surrey with a fringe on top? 94841927. Go for it, guys. Okay, carry on. All right. couple more emails. Uh, this one has come in from Bill. In the microwave, use two pieces of paper towel, one each side of the flower. So, yeah, okay. Yeah. So I don't know how well that would hold hold up the agapanthus, but hey, mm. yeah, go for it. Anyway, um, Dominique of Rockingham, Kentia palms are always loaded with fruit and wondering what is best for the health of the palm, removing it or leaving in place. Wondering if the fruit attract rats. Birds don't seem interested. Have a great holiday. So... Yeah, there's no date on that, so I'm not sure when that came in. Um, I enjoy the fruits on my palms because some of them, the flowers or bracts are orange and then the seeds are green and they change colour to red. So they add colour and interest in the garden. I I leave them. I mean, when your kentia palm gets big, mm. they're going to be quite high up. Mm. But, yeah, I I don't think it harms the plant at all. Sometimes when you're tidying up, you might go around and remove anything, brown tips off palm leaves, and that can really tidy up your garden and keep it looking good. Removing some of the, the lower sheaths of the, say, bamboo palms, for example, removing them and, yeah, cutting them up, dropping them on the ground, chop and drop, and that'll help mulch your plants as well. Mm, okay. Simon, over to you. We received a... 
email about dragon fruit going yellow. Well, okay, looking at um, Penny's photo, um, with the yellowing, now that would just be sun, sun damage. Uh, she means she refers to the branches. Um, that's really not an issue. Um, unless, of course, they get withery. If you have a, a thick, and my expression is thick, juicy branch, mm. and they're just yellow, when there's, there's no problems at all. Okay. I mean, that's that's going to happen. When Does you have that the, mean they're hungry? The yellow? Mm. Not not in this case. We, we've we've had all those 40 degree days. Okay. That's 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 what happens. They just okay. go yellow. Okay. But if the, if the, the branches are thick, no problems. You're going to get that every year. It's just that you have thin branches. Obviously, there's nest moisture in the branch that can turn withery, and that's somewhat like a dieback. No, not really die. Just obviously they're just. They've lost all the water in their branch. Mm. I mean, they're, they're really really a watery. Okay. Watery plant. So does that mean not enough water if they're withering? They've been, they've been damaged. Okay. I mean, that, so the it, roots may have cooked because it's in a hot environment. I think it's just, it's just, it's just far too hot. I mean, I don't, I don't mm. think, I don't think the sun is the complete answer. I mean, I, mm. all mine are, are, are watered plenty. They still do it. Okay. Right. Okay. Um, so it's just, it's just, just far too hot. I mean, yeah. you, you need we're to, growing in a harsh environment, exactly. aren't we? You need to pump the water into them, mm. get them, the branches nice and thick and juicy, so they can mm. they can tolerate the hot weather. Okay, yeah, as best right. we can. Now we do have a winner for our bigotry seventy five dollar gift voucher, Julie of Wembley. Good on you, Julie, and uh, you were very clever. The question was, what three things had better scurry to get out of the way of a surrey with a fringe on top? And the answer is from the musical Oklahoma. The answer is chicks and ducks and geese. <laughs> Did you know that? <laughs> well, I should I have. just I said to John, I think words. I'm too young to know the answer to that. We'll be back in a moment. Curtain Radio. And we've got about eight minutes of the show left and it will be taken over, at least I should say the reins will be taken over by George Minolti with the classic 60s. Our special guest in the studio today is Simon Boyle from Simon's Dragon Fruit and that's his Facebook page, Simon's Dragon Fruit. It's not too late to get a question through to us and to Simon if you'd like to discuss dragon fruit. What I'd like to know is all about eating dragon fruit. I mean, that's the whole reason we grow them. Well, yes, I mean... Oh, and their flowers are stunning. Yeah. The fruits of it are beautiful, aren't they? Like, describe the fruits to people. Well, they, all, they vary in all different sizes from basically the egg, egg-sized egg up to potentially, look, one and a half kilos, oh. 1.3 kilos. I mean, I've had a kilo fruit and... Wow. That's... Well, there's your dinner. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that, but honestly, a kilo of fruit, that's a lot of fruit. That's, that's enough for me. It's, they, um, unfortunately, some people's first introduction to dragon fruit, they're quite, they can be quite bland. Depends on the variety. Vietnamese white can be bland. Um, if you pick them when they're actually ripe, they can be sweeter and taste good. Unfortunately, due to transport reasons, yeah. um, they're picked unripe. But you can, you can understand that if you're transporting a long distance and it's mm-hmm. off, they're going to bruise. Do they ripen off the vine, off the plant? No, I don't think so, no. no. I mean, you, you, they're growing on the plant in the sunshine. They're, they're ripening properly. They're gaining sugars. They're being really sweet. 
So unfortunately, players in stock these white ones. Oh, they're boring. Don't mm. like dragon fruit. Well, well, you probably do. They just, just haven't, haven't tasted the, the real the, the deal. right ones. Yes. Mm. So get out there and grow them yourselves. Mm. But trellis is important. Yes. Keeping the water up to them in the summer, mm. obviously important. Uh, the trellis, trellis thing is puts important because um, you see some people's trellises and you think, okay, well you need to consider. If they're going to have a, have a huge canopy and you're going to have lots of half a kilogram of fruit on it, you have to sort of think to yourself, this is going to be really, really heavy. Mm. And some people decide, I'm going to grow them in a small pot. Well, you just look at it, small pot, tall post, I don't know, I'm getting 30 kilograms, probably more up top, straight yes. over. And when we, we see how you've set up your farm, you've got your big... Super six poles or like copper logs? Uh, Treated pine, sorry. (laughs) Treated pine poles (laughs) with the tyre on top. So that gives them a nice soft support Mm. to hang over. The the types of the tyres are going to get hot for a while, but then... I, I prefer tyres myself. It's it's easy. I mean, some people create it's recycling. It's that's about. I was about to say that. They, some people create lot, lots of wooden frames. It's it's practical, really. But I, I'm not going to create a hundred frames like this. I'd be I'd spend all day, all yeah. months doing it. But like you were saying, recycling. Apparently, these tyre places are charged something like eighty nine dollars each to get rid of them. Oh, I've got some more tyres if you want some, Simon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I literally I'm recycling. I'm giving these tyres another extra 20 or 30 years. Well, year and life. they do last, instead don't of, they? Built to of last. allegedly going to overseas and getting burnt, mm. yeah. I believe. Yep. So, well, I think we've just about covered everything, uh, 100 and something varieties. That's mm. absolutely extraordinary. And where can people get more information well, see, obviously, like I said, we've got my, my page at Simon's Dragon Fruit. Um, I've started a Facebook group, Western Australian Dragon Fruit Enthusiasts. Oh. We're clocking up. We're getting very close to 1,000 members. Wow. This is, of course, is Dragon Fruit Australia, which is I'm also admin of. I get around a bit. <laughs> I'm very passionate about it. Yep, good. Um, and the Rare Fruit Club. And the Rare Fruit Club, yeah. I'm Fantastic. A member of that too. Very good. Well, thank so, you so much for your efforts this morning. We really appreciate that, Simon, you. and, and updating us all and giving us a lot more insight into uh, I, dragon fruit and growing dragon fruit. I'd just like to find where I could get my hands on a nice one to eat. Do you sell them? I do. Do oh, you really? There you go. Okay. Did I see something about pick your own? I was on there. How this is going to work, I'm not sure. Yeah. But... I'm going to I'm going to try it at some stage. Well, could Ray come and pick her own? <laughs> <laughs> One kilo ones. Yeah. Bring your own gloves. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear you. No, I'm I'm actually just teasing you. Yeah, all right. right. Let's wrap up. Is there anything that you'd like to add this morning? Uh, obviously, you brought in all these beautiful array of plants and flowers. Did you want to mention? Well, what's you know what's as harsh, in your garden? harsh as it is at the moment, Ray. There's there colour. is a lot of color around. I agree. The hydrangeas and the agapanthus that are growing in the canopy of my gum trees uh, are doing really, really well. You know, I just can't stress the importance of canopy for Mm. livability. You know, look after your trees and they will look after us. They they buffer the winds and we've had extreme winds like day and night and strong. I had a 
branch come down off a bottle brush over a pathway so I've got burning underneath of one of the hydrangeas and uh, tree ferns but you know nothing that won't recover in time Mm. but Mm. yeah there's the bougainvilleas the frangipanis the hibiscus there is so much out there in bloom at the moment and the fragrance once again frangipanis Mm. native frangipanis honeysuckle Yes. Maria, yes. Uh, even the geisha girl, on a really hot day, those purple flowers give off the sweetest aroma of marshmallow. Mm. So, mm. yeah, go out, enjoy your night garden, have a look yeah. what's around. Yeah, good, good and, tip. And enjoy your day garden, the hottest part of the day on a 41-degree day. I had birds down on the front lawn with their wings out and their beaks open just hang out. So, um, yeah, just I gave a bit of a spritz and top mm. up my bird bath and yeah. just give them a bit of a reprieve. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. Simon, thank you You're for welcome. your time again. We appreciate very much. And we also appreciated chatting to Sue McDougall earlier. She is the director of the Western Australian Botanic Gardens here, which, of course, is Kings Park. Okay, George Minoldi is next with the Classic 60s. He's standing there nodding his head. He's agreeing with me. All right, uh, thanking Bev Daring and John Glidden, as always, and our very own Faye Akaro. And my gardenism for today is money can't buy happiness, but it can buy plants. And that's the same thing, folks. All right. We will be back next Saturday, which is the Australia Day weekend. We will be here. So uh, tune in and enjoy the weekend, everyone, and happy gardening. Thanks for your company this morning. We hope you've enjoyed listening to another edition of Let's Talk Gardening on Curtain Radio. Happy gardening.